morning, everybody. My name's Kent Oder, and I'm on staff here. It's nice to see you all here this morning. Today, I'm in the fourth week of a series called My Big Fat Mouth. And three of the weeks have been things that <clears throat> we shouldn't say. Today is one that we should say, except it, when it comes out, it's wrong, because it is. Today is the word alone. Alone is a bad word. But it's a bad word because it's not true. <laughs> it's not true. That's why it's a bad word. And generally speaking, we won't say that word. We just stuff it. And so we carry feelings of aloneness with us, and we don't say a word about it. And so saying it gets it out, and that's kind of the first step in moving forward and fixing it, because it's a dark place in our hearts. <clears throat> when we say, I feel lonely, I feel alone, I have no one, when those words come out of our mouth, we feel bad. We just feel bad. When we say it, we feel bad. Maybe it's guilt, maybe it's uh, shame, maybe it's just feel very immature, like I ought to grow up. Uh, maybe it's we just feel empty, we feel awful, unfixable, lost. But once we say it, we're at a point where we could do something about it right then. So that's one side. The other side is when we say I'm alone, God feels sad. God feels sad. It's interesting that we can create an emotion in him, and the sadness is because... We have missed it. We've missed it. He is always with us. That's what I want to talk about this morning in this talk. Because we're fallen, we naturally hold back in expressing these feelings, and so when we express them, we're on the path to moving forward. Because of God's great love for us, he treats us like little children. And I just in my mind, I have this image I've had, I have four kids, and they're all grown now, but there was a time when they were young. And invariably, when I'd say, let's come to me or let's go do this, they would run the other direction. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. My kids might be the only ones. I doubt it. That's just the way it is. And you're frustrated, especially the harder they run. How do you go get them? Frustration rises as the kids run away. That's my emotion. Now let's traject, you know, pass it on. What's God's emotion? When we say, I am alone, he's saying, what? What? Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. That's, that's how that works. Uh, the big idea today is feeling loved is God's plan for us. I hope that sinks in as we go through this talk today because it's the key to a whole lot of other things. Now, last month, uh, Marsh and I attended two weddings, <clears throat> and they were lovely events. One was a family member, one was a, uh, uh, a friend, and uh, what was sweet about the weddings are several things that really apply to the message today. Everyone that was invited was there because they were connected to either the couple or to the parents. Everybody was there on their behalf. And so the gathering of the group was all about them, and everybody had this common feeling in mind of gratitude 
that these two had now found a life partner. And they approved. They liked them. This is a good thing. And we're happy. Why are we happy? Because we know alone is not good. And so when somebody finds the right one, it's a good thing for all of us in the community. But the second thing is the community. What's fun is both weddings had seven sets of friends up on the platform with them. Seven. That's a lot. But they represent a lot of community. They represent a lot of love. And nobody was there on their own behalf. They were there because they were friends of and wanted to support the couple that was there. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Uh, Feeling alone is not okay. But it is more common than we think. Uh, I did some research getting ready for today. And... uh, Harvard Medical School has all kinds of stuff on this, so I I took a couple quotes I want to read to you. First of all, from a Harvard Medical Journal, it says this, All of us get lonely at one time or another. In fact, loneliness is a normal reaction to feeling disconnected. Disconnected from others, either physically or emotionally or both. The writer goes on, People all over the world and throughout history have felt lonely at different times in their lives. It's even possible to feel lonely while surrounded by people or at times in your life when your social life appears to be thriving. Wow. Now, there's, there's really no shame in feeling alone. We incorporate it ourselves, but it is what it is. It's just an emotion. Uh, Every part of creation is broken, and God is good. He's a good father to us, and so his arms are ready to take us every minute, every minute of every day. Another Harvard medical study was just about senior adults. This was fascinating to me. Doctors said 43% of older adults reported feelings of loneliness. That study also showed that people 60 years of age and older... So that's where it really got my attention. Face an increased risk of mortality compared to those who do not report being lonely. Lonely patients are less likely to take their meds or show up for appointments. Those are behaviors that usually result in chronic conditions going untreated and worsening over time, making them more likely to suffer from coronary artery disease, declines in motor function, frailty, and other physical and cognitive functional conditions. A researcher that they quoted said this, and this really grabbed me, said, loneliness and weak social connections are associated with a reduction in lifespan. In other words, the feeling of loneliness untreated reduces your life similar to that caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day. (laughs) I got my attention. In contrast... To that, people who had a greater social connections were at a 50% reduced risk of early death. In other words, I feel alone is bad for us. Really bad for us. Especially if we don't respond in a way that's God-designed. Big question is, how do we respond to those questions? To those feelings? Now, for the record, loneliness is not a sin. So let's get that straight. Loneliness is a feeling. It's an emotion. 
And that emotion could generate activity in our lives that is sinful. It's possible that that happens. But the feeling is not. It's not related to that at all. So it's very important for us to keep in our minds because we often feel so down we can't move forward. Today we want to talk about the two responses to loneliness that God God has really designed. Next month, in Light in the Darkness, one of the weeks we'll talk about anxiety and depression. We're not going to go there today because we're going to do it later. But uh, that could be a result of long-term loneliness. And uh, so it'd be good to come back for that. Now, from God's perspective, in the beginning, God noted us. He noted who he had created. He noted what was going on in us. And in uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the Lord said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So here's Adam doing the work God has given him in the garden, but he's doing it by himself. And God said, "Mm -mm, not a good idea. Not a good idea. God understands loneliness. And so from the get-go, he's been responding to that feeling. One of the greatest characters in the Bible is a man named Elijah. In the Old Testament, if you want to read all about Elijah, it's 1 Kings, about up in verse chapter 18 or so. Fascinating story. He was a powerhouse of a guy, and uh, it's a great story. The timing of his show up in the scripture is when the kingdom of Israel has now had a civil war and it's been divided into two parts. So you have the southern two tribes and the northern ten tribes, and uh, they are now functioning like two different countries. Uh, One people, two different countries, and Elijah primarily is working in the north. He's famous because he works with uh, two characters that you've heard their names before, Ahab and Jezebel, king and queen of the northern tribes. And these are bad people. They're the king and queen. They're bad people. At their table, every day, they have 750 priests eating their food who are priests to Baal and Asherah, which are uh, cultish-type gods, goddesses, that you worship with sexual orgies. I mean, it's an awful, awful situation. And that's who Ahab and Jezebel were in their process. So one of the power things about Elijah is he's one of the few in the Old Testament that actually could work miracles. There's a number of things he did. But the one that was most amazing was that he called a drought on the land that lasted for three years. Now, Marsha and I moved here from Vegas, and uh, in Vegas we have four inches of rain a year, which isn't very much. But this is nothing. Zero for three years. So we learned a rule in Vegas, uh, in Vegas under the sun that if you don't have a little spider sprinkler to every single plant on your property in three days, that plant will die. That's just the way it is. It has to have the water to live. So for a land, a whole land, to not have water for three years means every creek dried up, everything, the only thing you have is whatever out of the deepness of the earth comes out through the springs. That's where all the water came from. All of it. Now just think of that. So at the end of that three years, Ahab uh, Ahab is confronted by Elijah 
And Elijah says, I want to challenge all of your priests to a showdown up on Mount Carmel. And so he gathers them all together. They go to Mount Carmel. And the northern tribe audience of people who want to see what this is all about comes, and it's at least a crowd like a football stadium's worth. A lot of people are there to watch this showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. So uh, he gives the rules out. He says, this is what we'll do. We'll build an altar. We'll have sacrifices. And then we'll pray to our God. And the God that answers, that's the true God. That's what he was trying to show. Everything was about to give glory to God. So the priests of Baal make their altar, make their sacrifice. And all day long, they rant and chant, cut themselves, do all kinds of things. Nothing happens. And so Elijah taunts them. He says, maybe he's gone on vacation. Maybe he's out doing something else. Who knows what he's doing? But he's not paying attention to you. And the end of the day came and nothing had happened. So Elijah built an altar. And he put a sacrifice on it. And he knelt down. And God sent fire from heaven and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, Everything that was there, all the water, he poured water all over. He did everything, and all of it went away, and the people were so amazed. They knew that they had done wrong, and they, their response was they killed the 750 prophets of Baal. To the chagrin of Ahab and Jezebel, Jezebel pointed and said, by this time tomorrow, you're going to be dead. And Elijah ran away. That was the story. That's how this thing worked. Scripture says that Elijah ran away and uh, uh, he ran to the desert as far as he could. And he says, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Now, he just had this amazing victory for God where all the prophets of Baal have been eliminated, and now he wants to die because he's alone and sad. So God provided an angel who brought him food. And he had food. Got up and there was food. He was strengthened. So then he ran all the way to the southern part of Israel, which is a very long way, to Mount Sinai. And when he got to Mount Sinai, God showed up again. And this time with a question. What are you doing? Elijah said. Or Elijah, uh, Elijah, God said, what are you doing? Elijah replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. Elijah felt all alone. All alone. As far away from civilization as he could be, he felt all alone. So then the scripture goes on. The Lord then appeared to Elijah in a miraculous way, gave him new assignments, and said, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, whose mouths have not kissed him. So God's response to Elijah's aloneness was, Get up, go to work. This is what I want you to do next. And by the way, you're not alone. There's a lot of others. You just haven't paid attention to them. You don't know who they are. But that's the fact is, you're not alone. 
and sent him on his way. Now, that response uh, generates a bunch of questions in my mind. But I have a personal experience. It was a little, not like that, but I felt all alone after I'd done a lot of right things. I uh, spent 12 years at a church in Indianapolis, and it was a good experience. I accepted a new role in Chicago, and uh, I went with full of anticipation of what this was going to be. Uh, Marsh and I had worked out arrangements ahead of time so that she was going to stay back with the kids in school and uh, have a house built. And then when I showed up, uh, well, then at the end of the summer, we would all reunite in Chicago. So it was a long window, six months. So I show up my first day. I leave at 4 in the morning, drive to Chicago for my appointment with my new boss at 8.30 in the morning. I walk in, and his response to me was, Now, who are you, and why are you here? That was hard. Went to my office. It was just a little office. Had a desk and a chair, and that's it. I thought, okay, Lord. Got a Bible. I've got a yellow pad. I need you. We're here to do something. I was called to a mission. I knew what I was doing. But my response, because of a lot of reasons but in the past, drove me first to God. That's what we really want to do every time we come up with a hard thing. Go first to him. Go first to him. Let him help you. Because feeling alone is so common, why does it trouble God? It troubles him because he is always with us. He never leaves. He's never far away. We are the ones, on the other hand, that do all the moving. So, like the little children running away, that's our movement. His movement is steady as a rock. Steady as a rock, wanting us to be with him. I have a bunch of scriptures that I just want to take you through, just so you can see his heart. This is what's recorded in the scripture, the words of God for us. First of all, Psalm 23. We all know that. But verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Wow. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. This is to Joshua who took over after Moses had led the children out of Israel. Now Joshua's leading them into the land of Canaan. This is God's word to him. Don't worry about it. He will never leave you or forsake you. Hmm. Psalm 27.10 says, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will never forsake me. I mean, feelings of separation happen because of lots of reasons. Maybe some of you have parents that have been divorced or somebody died, mother or father, or a grandmother or grandfather, somebody dear to you, and there's been separation. Hmm. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. The Lord receives us if we come to him. Romans 8 is one of my favorite scriptures. It says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation, this last part, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
I mean, that's a strong promise. Nothing out there has power to keep us from the love of God as he puts his arms around us. Very important. First Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. It's, it's not just he loves us. He has a caring heart. He cares. I mean, it's, that's, that's an upgrade <laughs> in my mind. That's something very good. God cares for me. God cares for you. Psalm 68.5 says, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads them out, leads out the prisoners with singing. Now notice this list. A father to the fatherless. Who's alone there? Fatherless kids. A defender of widows. Who's alone there? A widow. This is God in his holy dwelling. He sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. I love that scripture. That's a promise that covers everything I know. First <clears throat> John three one says this: See what the great what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. Wow, we are God's kids. He loves us. So God's perspective of loneliness is a lot different than ours. The very foundation of our life is that God is for us and he longs to, for us to be with him. <clears throat> he desires to have a relationship. All of that is the core foundation of the relation between, relationship between God and men. This is a starting point. It's a starting point with us. God wants to be with us all the time. His love for us is so complete and so completely adequate that he can fix it by himself, his word promises. Our response to that love is not complicated. It is, look up, look up, God, God, be with me, look up. But you could say, That's great, but I need something with skin. God knows about that too. God's grace is that he has a grand plan for everyone on the planet, and that plan plan is the church. The Greek word ekklesia, the called out ones, the ones who have all responded to his love. It's not about buildings. It's about people, skin, one another. We're called the church, the fellowship, the body of Christ. This is a place where we matter and others can matter to us. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this will all know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Jesus said this on the night before he was killed on the cross and went to heaven, you know, for the resurrection, 40 days, and then to heaven. I mean, the point is, it's a new thing, a new commandment, like the Ten Commandments. Now, here's 11. A new commandment, I give you. Love one another. Why? Because that's God's plan. God's plan was, this love I have for you sheds to others around you. That's what it is. Jesus said... Where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. 
smallest community, the smallest community, has the presence of the Lord in the middle of it. Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carrying burdens is what we do when we're in community. It's another story for our family. My daughter was 12 years old. She had a little bump above her tooth. I thought it was a tooth coming in the wrong way, so we made an appointment with an orthodontist. Orthodontist called us and said, I need you to go see an oral surgeon tomorrow. So we went and saw the oral surgeon. He did a scan, came in and says, well, I have bad news. It's either a, it's not a tooth, it's a tumor. And she's probably going to lose a front tooth. And I'm just thinking, oh my, that's a bummer. What are we going to do about that? So I'm praying, I'm all frustrated about this loss of a front tooth. So he said, I took a, I took a scratch of it and I'll send it in and we'll get a report back by next, by next week. So Marsh and I go in for the designated appointment, and uh, he says, I want to see you guys first. So we walk in, and he says, I have really bad news. It is a very aggressive cancer, and it will take her life in three months. <sighs> Wasn't expecting that. I didn't know what to do. It's like a knife in the heart. <clears throat> so process went on, and a week and a half later, they did a surgery in in Indianapolis to try to save her life. Uh, we went, got there at 6 o'clock in the morning in our life group. We called them K groups in those days, Koinonia for close fellowship. Our group was there with us. They were there all day long in that waiting room. They carried us along. They carried us. And they weren't alone. Others joined and others joined. And so the room was full of people that we knew and loved. They carried us along. That evening, the doctors came out uh, and gave the diagnosis that we have saved her life. It doesn't always happen. But it happened that day. But throughout the whole process, we were not alone. Good news into the story. She's in her 30s, has two children. She's living a good life. So God took good care of us, and we're grateful. But being carried along by somebody else is what happens in the body of Christ when we're going through hard times. Romans 12, 4 and 5 says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and those members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, Form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. This is the plan of God. He makes us individually unique and incomplete, and our completion comes when we're hooked up with others in community of the church. 1 Peter 4.8 is one of my favorites. It says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Everything about this is about the community. We are in this thing. We have been gifted something that's good for everybody else. And we, when we do it in a way that helps each other, everybody wins. The word it mentions here is hospitality. Offer hospitality without grumbling. Hospitality is kind of a missing art. We live in a 
society where you drive into your garage door, close the door, close it down, and you might only talk to your neighbor when you take out the garbage. That isn't God's plan. Opening ourselves up to have others in. I grew up in a household where hospitality was regular. I lived in what's called a parsonage, a parson's house. My dad was a preacher. And church owned a, owned a house, and we were in it. And uh, it was not irregular for me to go down for breakfast in the morning and have somebody else at the table that I didn't know because we had lots of people stay with us, do things. Marsha and I, when we were first married, had a little apartment. We started having small groups meet in our house. We didn't have much. Uh, it was very, very meager. But it was just what it was because we were raised to know that hospitality is an important thing. It is good to be with one another and sit around a table and talk, or sit in a family room and share. That's part of this community thing. We hang out together. At White Oak, we have an experience that we promote together. It's called Life Groups. I have a story I want you to hear. Listen to this story. My name is Brian Dorman. This is my wife, Jane. We have two boys, uh, Lewis and Patrick. I've been on staff here about six years in administration, so I've worked on a lot of different projects um, with a lot of different areas. I currently serve um, every other month in the twos and threes classroom in the Grow Zone, and then I'm also leading the women's ministry here at White Oak that we're just starting. The best part for me about leading a life group has been the relationships we've built. Um, it's exciting when a new couple comes in that we have never met before, and some of those relationships have been really great bonds, really great ways to connect people. I know I've benefited from the past being new when I moved to this area, joining a life group. Um, was was really beneficial and the most impactful way to get me involved at White Oak. So definitely the relationships. One of the things that I really enjoyed about leading a life group is uh, the opportunity to uh, get to know people that we might not otherwise have on Sunday morning. That uh, even though we'll talk and meet with people on Sunday morning, we never sit down for a couple of hours and talk about a ton of different things. Um, we even have several like social nights with when we lead our life groups like in between you know, series that we do because we think that that you know aspect is so important to having your life group. It's it's amazing how how much more engaged we all are with each other. I think the spiritual growth I've experienced is realizing I don't need to have all the answers. I think a lot of people are intimidated by signing up to be a leader because maybe they don't have all the answers and it's okay because um, we've had a lot of people ask questions in our group, you know, theologically speaking, and I'm like, you know, I don't know that, but I'll find out for you. And, and it sparks a conversation amongst our group. It's, it's kind of like God can use you where you're at in life. You don't have to be perfect, you know. We don't have to know everything in order to talk to people and relate to people and things like that. And I think that that, at least for me, like would cause a lot of anxiety initially. You know, when, when we first started leading a group, is, is 
that we had to do these 10 things, you know, we had to answer these 10 questions. And, you know, we kind of learned that it's not really about that. And it's probably not how Jesus would have led a life group, you know, either. <laughs> Is that, you know, we should actually be listening to where the conversation's going and kind of let it happen naturally so that we can all discuss and learn together. For someone who is deciding whether or not to join a life group, just do it. We're not meant to do this journey on our own. We need each other, and sure, it might be awkward the first couple times, but you're planting seeds of community. You're planting seeds of the Holy Spirit and how He's going to work in your life, and what better way to do that in a community of people as opposed to on your own. So definitely, I would encourage you to join. In just a minute, we're going to have communion together. If you're going to help serve communion, you can leave and get ready right now. <clears throat> so, God's prescription, his Rx, for our loneliness, his two parts. But the thing is, both parts require something from us. Movement. Movement. First of all, it requires movement toward him. But to say, I feel alone, okay, God, help me. And let him put his arms around us. Uh, it requires a refocus and a move toward him to let him embrace you. But second, it requires risk to try, <clears throat> to try something, something more than what I am currently doing. At White Oak, we have organized, it's kind of our assignment, as many different ways for community to happen as we can. So, kind of three general groups. We have life groups that meet in homes. If you meet here at the church, some are for men, some are for women, some are for couples. We've got all kinds of things. But the point is, a group. that You meet together regularly and talk and study, be together. We have other kinds of groups. We have, at this campus, because we have space, we have what we call adult Bible fellowships downstairs. And you can try one. Out of the first service, a first-time guest was here, said, I will try one. And I took her down and put her in one of the rooms. And she immediately met the people, and they absorbed her. It was great. So that's, that's what we can do. We have that. We have other kinds of group things that we will talk about from time to time. But... You can move in that direction. Third, you can get a part of a team. We call them serving teams. We have lots of serving teams. We have them working with kids, working with youth, working with adults, working with women, working with serving in the community, working with serving around the building. Serving teams pass out programs and serve communion and do the various. There's places where you can make friendship and become acquainted and do something by putting your hands to it. I am not alone. It's not okay. I am alone. Excuse me. It's not okay. I am not alone is the answer. That's what God wants. When I am alone comes out of our big fat mouth, it's time to fix it. Right then. When I say I feel alone, we have now opened the door for God to reach out and touch us. We've opened the door for him to put his arm around us and bring, him, bring us to himself. The sad feeling can be lifted and we can be filled with peace again 
peace again. You can get God's help directly and personally, and the church can embrace you in a way that will make a real difference to help you find a way to be safe and growing. That's kind of the phrase I love the best. I want us to be safe and growing all the time. Let me pray for us. Father, I am thankful to you for your grace, for your love, for your mercy, for the way you have done everything possible to draw us to yourself. You are awesome. We love you with all of our heart. Thank you for working in this way, for filling us up, for being there for us through whatever darkness we go through to receive us back to your arms. We love you and pray now with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen.